Well, I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. Now, we are in part two of a uh, sermon. Uh, we started it last week talking about prayer, and we're going to continue in part two today. Uh, but as we do that, I want you to think for a minute. Think about some of the earliest prayers you may have prayed. For instance, if you grew up maybe Catholic, then you may have before a meal have said, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And in fact, if you watch Blue Bloods, you'll hear that prayer every time the episode is on. But anyway, but if you, you, know, you may have grown up praying that prayer. It's a, I would call it an introductory prayer. For me, it was this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. And it was so great when I got to pray. But maybe you also had an introductory prayer when you went to bed at night. Does anybody remember, now I lay me down to sleep? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Introductory prayers. My mother was the oldest of 11. Uh, I have an uncle who's only three years older than me, 18 months older than my sister. So when my mom was a senior in college, her youngest brother was born. I heard lots of stories from my uncles and aunts about things that they did. And one of my uncles told me once that he had about three or four friends over at the house one day, and they were getting ready for lunch. He was probably about 13 or 14. And my granny, I mean, my granny is the epitome of piety. Okay, and uh, so, I mean, my, one of my images of my granny is still sitting there at her long table in the morning with her coffee and her Bible and her notebook, you know, and she was just that way. She, she just, she was... She was soft-spoken, but she had 11 kids. You didn't want to cross her. We won't even talk about the time she spanked me. But uh, my uncle said he was there with his friends and his, and granny said, uh, Richard, you pray. And he said, Scotty, I sat there and I said, Heavenly Father, look down on us with a twist and help us to eat mouthfuls as big as our fist. He said his friends were all snickering. He opened his eyes to see his mother's hand coming out across his face. Introductory prayers. He was learning, let's say. You know, when we remember those early prayers, sometimes they, they bring a warm feeling to our heart. They bring a, a smile to our face. But prayer, like children talking, should be a growing thing. You know, if, if my daughter called me today and said, hi, daddy, what's up? And started talking baby talk, I would think something had happened. I would think something was wrong because she's grown in her ability to communicate with us. She's grown in her ability to talk. We discovered last week that the kind of prayer we see modeled in Acts, and the kind of prayer that we've seen modeled in the New Testament by our Lord is much deeper than the introductory sentimental prayers. There's nothing wrong with those introductory prayers except maybe my uncle's. 
but in fact, I would say those should be stepping stones to help us develop a deeper habit of pausing to communicate with God. Now, last Sunday, we discovered several things. The core principle that we're looking at, the one that's kind of engulfing these two sermons, is simply this. Individual and corporate prayer is to be a core reality in any church. We should all be part of individual and corporate prayer. We learned, uh, we kind of restructured the definition on prayer, and we talked about how the prayer is communication with God or communication between me and God. It's not just talking to God. See, I'm talking to you right now. You're sort of communicating if you nod your head or, or whatever or, or nod off. Uh, but, but in a conversation, when we sit down with people, I had coffee with somebody the other day and, and we talked back and forth. We were communicating with one another. I believe that's real prayer is communicating with God. We learned last week there was an important principle that grows out of that, and that is important decisions should be preceded by prayer. And finally, we learned last week that prayer unites us in relationship with God and one another. There is a unique unity. There's a unique oneness that happens when you pray with another person. So today I want to leave you with three more points and then also a few takeaway points. Um... And I want you to know this, later on this week, I'm going to be sending out an email that I want to answer some questions that I know come up in my mind. And one of the biggest questions that people ask me on a regular basis is, how do I know that God is speaking? And so I hope to share with you some ways. It will not be exhaustive because you don't want to read some 400 pages because our God is a great big God and our God is a very creative God because he's the creator God and he communicates to us in a variety of ways. I will just share with you some ways that I've experienced and maybe that will be of help to you. I don't recall when I first heard it, but when I did, I realized it had a ring of truth. And the phrase is this, Prayer is not about telling God what I need. Prayer is inviting God to rule my life. Isn't that what Jesus modeled for us that night in the garden when he said, not my will, but your will be done? Isn't that what we just prayed a few minutes ago when we said, your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven as it is on earth? Prayer invites God to rule our lives. We're in Acts chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be focusing on verses 23 through uh, 31. But uh, let me rehearse. I think I mentioned it last week. Let me rehearse what's going on here. Uh, Peter and John were, had been called into the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling group of the Jewish nation. Uh, They had been called in because they were speaking to people. There had been a healing that took place. There had been some things happened, and and they wanted Peter and John to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Uh, They put him in jail for a night, and uh, and yet even, even after putting them in jail for a night, people were reminded of their message and were coming to faith. 
the next day, they, they brought them out. They met with them. They, they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And, and uh, they, they were wrestling back and forth. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and remember Jesus had told him, he had told him, don't worry. He told all the disciples, when you get called before the leaders, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment you need them. And verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said this, Rulers and, and elders of the people, if we're being called to, an act, to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, that's back in chapter 3, they're going to pray, and a guy was there, a beggar, and and uh, Peter looked at him and said, <laughs> look at us. We have no money, man, but I'll give you what I do have. And he reached out, he grabbed a hold of him, and he said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And we learn at the end of this section, that man was 40 years old. He had not walked for most of his life. And we could go on about that. What amazing. And that created this big stir. So Peter says, if we're called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he's he, he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Get the courage there. You did this, guys. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And I absolutely love verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. My hope, my prayer, this is not one of the main points today. I hope that daily people take note that you and I have been with Jesus. That somehow there is something in us that they know, wow, something in you is different. That Jesus somehow reflects through us. Well, they went back and forth. They didn't know what to do. They, they send them out. They deliberate. They call them back in. And uh, they tell him, don't speak in the name of Jesus again. And Peter says in verse 19, and Peter and John together, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. So they threaten them, da, 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 and they let them go. And that brings us to our passage today. Verse 23 says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that all the chief, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Prayer invites God to rule our lives. This is a prayer of God's sovereignty. This is a prayer that begins with God, you're in control. God, you're the creator. God, you allowed this stuff to happen. And I notice, and it's very interesting here, how often prayers in the New Testament quote the Old Testament, this is a prayer that comes from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Psalm 2 is a psalm we're going to look at on our Thursday nights because 
it's one of the Psalms that is quoted most often throughout the New Testament. The book of Hebrews relies on Psalm 2. Jesus quotes Psalm 2. It's an important Psalm because it sets up the standard that God has a plan and that plan would be to send his son. And so they're here and they're saying, God, with all that's happened, we celebrate you. And we want you to rule our lives. We want you to continue to be in control. We want you to continue to exercise your sovereignty. They realize that everything that happened has happened due to God's plan. I got to confess something right here. I have started too many prayers in my life with, now God, you need to. Who, who am I to tell God what he needs to do? I think one of the ways God speaks to me is he just laughs at me. You know, he says, Scott, you're so cute. You know, kind of that little pat on the head. You're so cute. Uh, who am I to tell God what he needs to do? And I have found myself stopping and going, okay, well, I'm sorry, God. <laughs> From my finite human can't see much beyond my nose perspective, it seems like this might be a good course, but you know what? I, I will submit to you. There is none of God you need to do here. In essence, they're just saying, God, regardless of the circumstances, you're still sovereign. Regardless of what happened to Peter and John, you're still in control. Regardless of the threats made against us, we still believe you are the God of the universe and we invite you to rule our lives because if God is sovereign, I'm dependent on him and I should invite him to rule my life. So yes, do you bring prayer requests to God, concerns about somebody that's ill? Yes, you do. But you also invite God to be sovereign in that moment, to do what he's going to do in that moment. Prayer invites God to rule our lives. Their prayer hasn't continued, hasn't, hasn't ended. It continues. Look at verses 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Not only does prayer invite God to rule my life, prayer reminds us that we are dependent. This is kind of a backdoor point. These people acknowledge what happened. You see, from a human perspective, from a human perspective, it was Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people. They were all thinking they were doing the thing. They were removing a nuisance. They were removing someone who had gotten in their way. They were moving, removing someone who was a problem. But yet, the reality was the odds were stacked against Jesus in their mind. The odds were as a foregone conclusion that he was going to suffer and die and we'd be done with all of this. But verse 28 says they were doing what God had already determined. Even when they didn't know it, they were dependent. Let's take that to a level in our own lives. I am dependent on God. You are dependent upon God. Even when I don't know it. I'm at my best, you're at your best when we're living in dependency. You see, when, when I start to think, I got this, 
right? I can make that happen. I can, I can do that. I can achieve that. I might be able to do a lot. I, people do a lot without God. They don't realize, though, how dependent they are upon God. I mean, you know, have you ever wondered? I mean, I know medically and all it can be explained, but, you know, we wake up every morning, and that ought to be a praise note for us. You know, what, what keeps the heart beating? Well, it's electronic impulses. Yeah, where did that come from? How, you know, you think of all that we do that we just do naturally, but it's all under the care of God. We're dependent upon him. And when I get into the ego zone, the ego zone is when it's about me. I can do this. I can make it happen. I can change this. I can change that. When I get into the ego zone, when I believe that anything that happens in my life happens because of my talent, my charisma, my charm, my will, then what I have done, whether I trust God or not, at that moment, what I've done is I've just kind of moved God out of the picture. And the reality is then the glory and the focus is me. It's not God. And ultimately, either in this life or the next, it will fail. I recently listened to a, a podcast. It was a series of podcasts it was about uh, detailing the history of a, a very large and influential church that almost overnight completely collapsed as an entity and failed. Uh, there were, this church, though, in its heyday, was, there were churches that spawned from it. There was a network of church planters. It was just making a splash. But what happened is the founding pastor began to lead and act of it as if his word was the final word. If you disagree with him, you're out. If you question him, you're out. I would dare say in that case, while prayer was promoted and talked about and even taught, it eventually gave way to what one person wanted to happen. And it failed. Prayer should remind us that we are dependent, that we are dependent upon a sovereign God. You and I are not the final say-so. And when we depend on God in prayer, we find a final reality. Look at verse 29. Now here's their request. And I want you to do something as you read your Bible. I want you to look at the difference between the requests made in Scripture compared to the requests that you and I sometimes make. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. A question before we get to the point. What kind of prayer causes God to shake a building. I want to know. But I learned something here. It's not the kind of prayer that puts me first in the picture. It's the kind of prayer that asks God to put himself first for his glory. The point I would make is prayer gives us confidence in difficult times. God, you take into account their threats because you're in charge, we're dependent upon you. 
God, you know what to do with them. All we ask is one thing. Give us the confidence to know what to say and when to say it. The word boldly modifies the word speech. Boldly means clear, uh, confident, assertive speech. But the goal isn't to try to make somebody do something. The goal isn't try to make something happen. It's simply, God, give us the ability to speak your word with clarity and with confidence. Give us the ability to speak your word boldly. God, we invite you to act in such a manner in our lives that everyone knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that what we are doing is your work. And then look at this and note the pronouns. Enable your servants to speak your word. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. I don't perform signs and wonders. I don't heal. I don't change anybody. God does that. And we have to make a clear definition between what I am able to do and what God does. And they made a clear distinction between that. And then what's God do? He reaches down and he says, kind of like, I heard you. <laughs> Shakes the building. Isn't that crazy? And what do the people do? They don't just stop and go, whoa, that was awesome. No. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're empowered and they go speak the word boldly. And God works. Well, that's all well and good, Pastor Scott. Now what do we do with it? Let me give you some takeaways from all of this. Here's the first one. Prayer may be new for you. Prayer may be old hat for you. Prayer may have gotten tiresome for you. Yeah, I, I hit a point once where I said, you know, Lord, every time I pray, it seems like the answer is always no. So maybe it would be better if I just kind of shut up. It's like, no, 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 that's it. And so I'm reminded just very simply, here's my first, it's so simple, it's so basic. Just talk with God. I would encourage you to take time every day to just talk with God. Don't think, you know, I know we read about, and I, I'm amazed by them, different people back in time who got up and at three in the morning to pray for two hours to start their day at five in the morning. And that's awesome. And that was wonderful for them. But I think it started with them just learning to talk with God. Don't worry about terminology. There is no right terminology to use with God. Just talk with him. Talk with him like you do a trusted friend. Take time to tell God how much you appreciate him. Thank him for the good things. Thank him even for the simple good stuff. Tell him what's happening. When you're in the middle of a decision, just ask him for wisdom. Believe that he'll give it. Just talk with God. I would encourage every one of you, talk with God. Secondly, start watching. Start watching. Look for God's hand. You know, 
Thursday, I'd been up north. I was spending some time with my son. Uh, he and his wife are, are moving out of state, so had an opportunity to connect a little bit and get together. I'm driving home. I'm on 355, headed south, going past the mall in Schaumburg. And, you know, it's about six lanes across. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so it wasn't bumper to bumper. And so I'm driving along, you know, going speed limit, 70. And uh, uh, all of a sudden I see up in front of me, and there's, it's open lanes in front of me, and there's that little pocket. I see a white minivan pulling a camper trailer. And I'm driving, and all of a sudden that white minivan in the camper trailer without even signaling, goes, whoa, all the way into the far left lane. And I hit my brakes, the, everybody else, and then he kind of pulls back over and he pulls over and I could see that he had blown the tire on his camper trailer and he was trying to control it till he could get it off to the side of the road. And I was in one of those moments where I went, you know, wow, wow. First my first prayer was, Lord, I pray for that family. They, that's going to mess up their trip or they're coming home. Lord, thank you for your hand of protection. If we would have been in heavy traffic, that would have been a mess. You know, Somebody said, yeah, you would have seen the hand of God either way, but one of them would have been the physical hand of God. You know, I, I, I wasn't ready to see that, at least in my mind, I, was, I still had things to do, right? I'm learning to say thank you for the little things. Thank you, God, for your protection. Thank you for that. Thank you, God, for your timing in that. I don't think there are as many coincidences and serendipity moments as you and I think. And it's important to start looking and watching for the hand of God. And I believe the more you talk with God, the more you'll be sensitized to see his hand. Here's the third one. Let God change you. Have you ever noticed when a young couple gets together and they start to spend more time together and they start to grow together and maybe they start to grow in love together and it leads into a relationship and maybe if you're a parent and you've watched this you've watched your children change just a little bit because they they want to be like the person they're with and you watch the other person change it happens the more you spend time with god the more you will be prone to change because God will change you. Let God change you. As you talk with him, learn to be still and to listen for him. All of you know that we get here really early on Sunday mornings. Part of that time is set up stuff. But part of that time is just so that we aren't in a hurry so that we don't have to rush around. Part of my routine on Sundays is to find time to just sit and be still for a moment. I can't tell you how many times God has said, well, it's been a couple of times, I've actually walked up to Charlene at certain times and said, um, I need you to pray for me. Why? The sermon I worked on all week, it's not the one God wants me to preach. What does he want you to preach? Well, we don't know yet. We're still waiting for that. 
being still, waiting, depending. Learn to be still. And you know what's going to happen? God will change you. He will weed out habits that need to be weeded out. He will help you grow. He will help you change. And what's really amazing is eventually others will see what God's doing in your life. I would add one more, and this is a request. Having preached through this for two weeks, having thought about it for more than that, I, I'm, cons- I'm, I, I'm convicted that we need to, as a church, establish, again, we've, we've had these starts and stops, but we need a corporate time of prayer. I'm, I'm not going to dictate when that's going to be. I'm going to ask you to pray and seek God. And when you have in your heart God, when you sense God showing you, send me an email and say, I think we could meet in prayer at such and such a time. It's kind of my little fleece before God because I really believe we're going to come up with a unified time. When is a good time? There's, first of all, there's no good time. Every time gets in the way, doesn't it? When is God telling you, I want you to set aside an hour to join with others in prayer? It may be that we don't do one large group time. It may be that there are pockets of prayer. I'm open to that. But I think as a body of believers, we need corporate prayer. Prayer is vital. It's vital to any church. Prayer is communication between you and me and God, between us and God. Our important decisions need to be preceded by prayer. That's why I'm asking you to pray with me about an important decision of when we meet. Because when we meet together in prayer, we're going to find prayer uniting us even more. I don't think we really have a divided congregation at all, but I'd like to see us even more united. Wouldn't that be great? That we really felt like this was one big, happy, somewhat functional family before God? When we pray together, we're going to invite God to rule our lives and be reminded how dependent we are upon Him. And when that happens, we're going to have confidence. We're going to have confidence, not in us, not in our ability, but we're going to have confidence as a body of believers, as individuals. And when we go through difficult times, we're going to find that God has us there for one another because we're all learning to lean on Him. So I encourage you this morning, start talking with God, start watching for God, and let God change you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for just the practical realities of prayer. Lord, forgive us for making it more difficult than what it really is. Help us. Help us, Lord to grow not in our flowery language, but to grow in our relationship with you and in our communication with you. And open our eyes so that we can see you at work. Oh, it'd be great if you'd shake a building, but even just to see a life changed will be enough. Thank you for allowing us into your presence through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.